Welcome to the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. And my name is Michael Gallagher of Nashville Hockey Now, and you can follow me on Twitter at MG Sports underscore. That's right. Check out NashvilleHockeyNow.com, the new website. Where where can people follow that uh, that that Twitter feed there? Yeah, on Twitter at NSH Hockey Now. We also have an Instagram. We also have a Facebook, all the handle NSH Hockey Now. There you go. Make sure you check out all that good stuff. I know you guys got a lot of reaction to the lottery, which, of course, is going to be our main topic on the show today. I know Michael's Yay. very, very fired up. Uh, oh, I had gosh. I had. So I've been doing college football for most of my career. I had some people that only follow me for college football that are not even from the South, that are people from like like a Penn State fan. And like and they're both tweeting me after the draft lottery on Monday night. Like, I don't even like the NHL. I don't even follow hockey, but I am here for y'all's tweets about the Blackhawks. <laughs> they were just they were enjoying it. And uh, I don't get on Twitter much anymore. At Braden Gall, at 440 Sports, of course. Uh, but man, man, oh man, it was fun to read Twitter on uh, Monday evening after Chicago got the number one pick in the draft, shockingly. So of course, we're going to start the show today with the lottery. And was it rigged? Did Gary Bettman pass on Connor Bedard directly to the Chicago Blackhawks? Uh, we will discuss the Milwaukee Admirals first round playoff win in the Calder Cup. Uh, very dramatic win over um, in game number, I believe it was game number five or game number four. I can't remember what game it was in in five. Game number five in that series, down to the wire, and for it to end the way it did was fantastic. But I want to know what you learned about any of the prospects uh, for the Predators or Kyle Taylor. And then, of course, the Nashville Predators will be picking 15th in the NHL draft. We do not know where their second pick in the first round will be whenever Edmonton is out. That pick will probably be in the 24, 25, 26 range, somewhere in there. Uh, but we'll have a second first-round pick. And so today on the show, we'll give you kind of our first draft primer Mike will tell you some names to keep an eye on that could be available with that 15th overall pick, which is exactly where statistically the Predators were slotted to be. So all of that today on the show, lots to do. Of course, Michael Gallagher, we are brought to you by Jaspers. That's right. That's right. Uh, how many of you listeners? I want you to tweet. Jas- at, Jaspers at, would not give the Blackhawks the number one pick. I'll tell you that. No, they would not. Um, they would do the they would not put out a recording of the draft lottery later on. With the uh, charisma of a three-toed sloth from Gary Bettman, uh, listen. If you have been to Jasper's more than one time, I want you to t- tweet and tag at MG Sports underscore and say you have been to Jasper's more times than Michael Gallagher. That's what I want you to do, because Jasper's has a gold standard. I we had a buddy of ours, we had a listener tweeting yesterday about being at the at Jasper's to drown his draft lottery sorrows. I'm not sure how many Nashvillians are out drinking because Chicago got the first pick. But if Probably you know, a lot of them, man, especially the ones that were planning <laughs> on going to the draft in person that probably aren't going to go now because Chicago is just going to uh, flood Nashville. That's going to be bad. It's going to be bad. We'll, and we'll if you get Batman, you had to have saw that coming. I mean, I'm not saying the draft is rigged, but the fact oh. that Chicago is getting the number one pick in Nashville and it's probably going to be the best player Ever since Wayne Gretzky, like it, it's just a perfect shit storm for the NHL. Shout out to Mitch, who said uh, best way to drown my NHL draft lottery sorrows is a gold standard cocktail from Jasper's food is incredible. And the gluten sensitive menu is phenomenal. Thanks for all the plugs that made us try it. Go to Jasper's. Uh, Shout out to Mitch, not only for trying Jasper's, but for trying the cocktail that was named after the podcast. Damn straight. Mitch, I don't know what I can do to help you, but next time you go, tweet at me at Braden Gall, and maybe I'll meet you up and meet up with you and buy you a beer or a cocktail. So, uh, I'm not above I'm not above shilling uh, for for friends. I have I have no problem <laughs> paying for friends. Uh, all right, so go to Jasper's, everybody. Uh, it is truly an, a, a great place and a huge partner of the Nashville Predators. Um, all right, so the draft is going to take place what June 28th, I believe, is the first round. Um, yes, 6 p.m. Uh, I think. 6 p.m. I believe it's a Wednesday evening, and then rounds two through seven are Thursday. Of course, all of this at Bridgestone Arena, which of course will be filled with Chicago Blackhawks fans, because even though despite having an 11% chance, as we talked on the pod a couple of weeks ago, the number three team in the rankings in terms of their percentage opportunity, they had essentially an, a 90% chance of getting the second, third, or fourth pick. And of course, behind closed doors, even though they later posted a video of it all, which an unbelievable, the most uncharismatic video I've ever seen in the history of sports from Gary Bettman um, doing, doing the process, I guess that who knows if they did it before or after. <laughs> I, I don't want to get into the, like the frozen envelope that got Patrick Ewing, 
you know, to the Knicks. I don't want to do the is it rig thing because let's just be what are the facts of the situation? The facts of the situation are that the NHL is maybe the fifth most interesting sports league in our country. Maybe fourth or fifth, fourth at best, maybe fifth or sixth in terms of interest ratings and attention. This is entertainment. And what helps a league get attention? A Wayne Gretzky level player being in the second biggest market in the country in Chicago. Those are just facts. That That is not me saying Gary Bettman intentionally did it. I guess statistically the probability of them actually getting away with rigging the draft seems improbable, Michael. I don't want to... But like, also, there's facts. There's facts that what's best for the league is Connor Bedard being in Chicago. That is what's best for the league. Those are facts. Yeah, I mean, Connor Bedard in Columbus and Connor Bedard in Anaheim, while great for those fan bases and those markets specifically, is not what's best for the NHL. So I understand that the NHL is probably celebrating the fact that Connor Bedard's going to Chicago because it's a major market. It, like the Blackhawks fans, even though they've been bad for all of three years, like Blackhawks fans are still diehard loyal fans that will defend their team no matter what. And we saw that with a lot of what happened with the Kyle Beach stuff. There were people still making excuses for the team and stuff. But Connor Bedard going to Chicago is arguably what's best for the NHL for making money for padding the bottom line of the league. And I get that. They, but the they, fact that they are in the attention business. And Connor Bedard in Chicago gets them the most attention. That's it. Yeah. And the fact that it was done like in secret, granted, they released the video of it happening later. <laughs> but the Gary fact Bettman, that it was Gary Bettman's like, are we rolling? Are we rolling? Like, yeah. why didn't they edit that part out? <laughs> I, I don't I don't get it. And I, I have been accused of being very monotone and lacking charisma, but I feel like people <laughs> would rather listen to me do the draft lottery than Gary Bettman. And I'm that's really telling you something because I I acknowledge that my voice does not fluctuate very much. I'm very even keel. But Gary Bettman, man, if you have trouble sleeping, just listen to him talk. Don't have to take melatonin. Don't have to take Ambien. Just listen to Gary Bettman give like a 10-minute monologue on on something. He will put uh, you to sleep. It's instead of gummy 30, it's Bettman 30. Uh, that's what it is. Yeah. Tuesday, but the Tuesday optics night. of it, of it being behind closed doors, they're like, okay, here's yeah. the final three picks. We're going to go do this real quick. And they come back and all of a sudden Chicago has the number one pick. The draft lottery isn't rigged. But if ever there was a case for believing so, last night was it. I mean, it, that just looks so bad. They're like, oh, just trust us. This is what really happened. Yeah, yeah. And and in light of, again, the, the facts of this, like, so here's the thing. And you and I were texting during this whole process. Like, I, the NFL doesn't have this problem. You want to know why? Because there is no potential lottery behind closed doors at any point. Now, I also know that Major League Baseball, the NBA, and the NHL all have lotteries. So I, I, I'm not suggesting necessarily that the, the lottery is the worst way to do it. I prefer just your record. And if you want to suck and have the worst record, I guess in football, we're fine with it, but not in the other sports, maybe because there's so many games and you got to, it affects bottom line more in those other sports, I guess. I, I don't know. I mean, people watch football games between two and 14 teams, you know, every year. So I guess it doesn't matter because of gambling and fantasy. So maybe that's why that, that, that there's still such great interest in bad teams and it's a, the contracts aren't guaranteed, right? Like players can get cut, so they're they're busting their ass. But I would also argue, like in the NBA and Major League Baseball, the draft doesn't really matter that much. It matters more so in the NBA than Major League Baseball. But what? you're not going you the can, NBA. You, the you NBA, can, it's all that matters is the is the NBA draft. Is all that matters. You can draft. I mean, look at Steven Strasburg. Everyone's talking about how great he was going to be for the Nationals years ago, and he had an okay career. But they talked about how he was going to be the next Roger Clemens, and he was supposed to be this transcendent pitcher that was going to transform the Nationals into a contender, whatever. Like, Didn't they win a World Series? <laughs> they did win a World Series, but it, it wasn't like he just came in and instantly made them a playoff team. No, baseball, ba baseball and hockey, because you're drafting high school children and youth league players has a much bigger miss rate. And it takes longer for those players to make an impact. The NBA, you can draft the number one player and have that player be an all-star in year number one. So I think I think I disagree that with that. That is true. But my point about the NBA is if you don't have a top five pick and you can't get one of those game-changing players, you can go out and sign two or three really good players and form a super team. We've seen that done over and over. I you guess. can't really do that in the NHL. You can't really do that in the NFL, which is why the NHL needs to seriously consider changing the draft format because this stupid bullshit that they have with the lottery is just it's dumb and it's not working. I, I don't I understand 
why why we're it, it feels like we're still stuck in like the 1950s with the way they're doing things. I, I am okay as a fan of all of these sports with the last place team and the team with the worst record getting the first pick because of this exact situation. It eliminates all doubt to do it. Now I understand all the financial ramifications and I get it. We, we knew the Blackhawks were tanking this year and they still didn't finish with the worst record in the league. Right. So if I'm an Anaheim fan, we finished, we had one of the worst seasons in franchise history. We had the worst record in the NHL and we don't get the best pick that, that I think is, I, I understand the argument. Now I also understand the lottery system because again, of all the things we talked about here with all the other three leagues. So it's not abnormal here for the NHL to do this. It is at, it, what, what, what happens though, is in a year like this, when Chicago is in this situation as one of the most important markets in a league that is not one of the most watched leagues and paid attention to leagues on social media or on television, and you've got a once-in-a-generational talent potentially, probably since you know either Crosby or McDavid or whoever, I it, it, it opens you up for criticism that it is some conspiracy theory. Now, you and I tend... It sounds like you and I are probably like, okay, the odds of it being a conspiracy theory in which you have to keep how many mouths closed about the fact that you've done this is probably unlikely. But there's a better... I think the number two argument is what you've said. Let's change it to a... If you're last, you're first. <laughs> like, make it a Ricky Bobby kind of the situation. But I think the best argument against Chicago getting Connor Bedard is the one we're about to have. And first of all, let's let's discuss the impact of this player. And I'm going to get you to go back and and kind of talk through some of these incidents. But they they sold they in one and a half hours. It was reported that they sold two and a half million dollars worth of season tickets after they won the lottery. So. You do not have to, you cannot argue with us about the financial incentives of this player being in this franchise for the NHL and for Chicago. Can't argue with it. The facts are there. They made yeah. half a million dollars more than they were fined for an incident we're about to discuss. So the question is, did they did did they deserve to have their first round pick at all in the first place? And so not only did they did they make two point five million dollars, they also had five hundred new season ticket holders too. Yes. So I want you to quickly lay out because you've already mentioned Kyle Beach's name. For those that don't know, can you give everybody the Cliff's Notes version of uh, this? Is not going to be easy to listen to, but covering up assault essentially for a long period of time. Give, give the give sort of the quick Cliff Notes version of the Kyle Beach situation. Yeah, so basically, my my stomach turns even even thinking about this and having to describe it. Uh, Brad Aldridge was the Chicago Blackhawks video coach, I believe, back in 2010. Mm-hmm. Kyle Beach was one of the Blackhawks' top prospects at the time, um, and basically, through training or working with the video coach or whatever their relationship was, Brad Aldridge sexually abused Kyle Beach on multiple occasions. And then basically told him that if he were to tell anyone, he would ruin his career because he had that kind of power and authority within the organization. And then Kyle Beach being a 20-year-old kid, the guy can't even legally drink yet. So I'm going to call him a kid because he he's 20. He's, he's getting used to going from playing in the junior leagues and trying to learn how to be a professional hockey player, largely on his own because you, parents are great, but I don't think they can, unless your dad was a professional athlete, I don't think your parents can really help you transition to a life from being like a normal athlete to a professional athlete making that much money having that much fame all that everything that comes with it Kyle Beach probably felt like he didn't have a support system he probably felt like no one was going to believe him because that was even something he even came out and said he was like it took me a while to come to terms with what happened because who's going to believe a 20 year old kid that a, that a, a man is taking advantage of him and not only that but a man that works professional sports organization like that so he sexually abused Kyle Beach on several occasions, threatened him, threatened his career, said he would ruin him as a hockey player, basically, and got away with it. And then the Blackhawks got wind of this. And because they were in the middle of a Stanley Cup run, they didn't want to make waves. So they swept it under the rug. Brad Aldridge was allowed to be employed, continued to be employed. Not only that, he once he finally left the organization, he got severance pay. He got a Stanley Cup ring and he got his name engraved on the Stanley Cup, all while the people in charge of the Chicago Blackhawks knew about even if they didn't investigate they knew they had heard rumors of what happened without even investigating it brad aldridge did the same thing to kyle beach that he did to another did to another kid after he left he was working another job somewhere at like a local high school or something and did the same thing to another kid so because the blackhawks failed to report what he did the first time with kyle beach it allowed him to do it again and on top of all that 
the GM for the for Chicago was allowed to step down from the organization. Their senior VP was allowed to step down from the organization. Joel Quinville, the head coach, was allowed to step down from the organization. So people are saying, oh, well, everyone lost their jobs. They were allowed they were allowed the grace and the dignity to resign instead of being publicly fired like a lot of other people do for, for performance-based reasons. And on top of that, the only real, I guess, penalty that they suffered was a $2 million fine, which the Blackhawks could write a check and not even scoff at that. And I think $1 million of that was supposed to go towards helping shine light on, on sexual abuse and stuff like that and lower hockey leagues and stuff like that. But, but nothing happened. I, the fact that the Chicago Blackhawks have any of their first round picks before the year 2025 is, is amazing to me, considering the Devils got fined three million dollars. So, so, hold, so hold on. Hold on. That, I, I want to get I want to get to that because I want you to talk through the other ones that have taken place as well. I want to make sure everybody knows the timeline on this. The, the fine, the two million dollar fine was in October of 2021. So my question is, is that you think this was deserving of because obviously the first round pick had they taken one away, which they probably should have done no matter what, but they did not. Would have been in 2022. Are you suggesting that this was worth two first round picks and that they should have had both 2022 and 2023 removed? Is that the argument that you're making? Mean, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm saying is that is that what we're thinking? Here? I I'm making the argument that it should have been a minimum of three first round picks. We're talking about covering up sexual assault of a 20 year old kid. Yeah, this goes beyond people. sports. This goes beyond winning a, a damn Stanley Cup. This this is about protecting someone who was 20 years old, who did not know what was going on or how to handle this. We have to do better. Yes, sports are interwoven in the fabric of our society, but we have to we have to recognize the line of where fandom crosses the line of, of, of basic human decency. Right. So, so this I, should have been a minimum of three first round picks, in my opinion. I, I, I even said when, when all this was going on that the Chicago Blackhawks should have got the SMU death penalty equivalent of whatever it was in the NHL. So I, I've uh, Jasper's, by the way, um, in putting on the event for the NFL draft last week, all of the money we raised, which wasn't a lot of money, but it was, a, you know, a, a nice little check. All that money went to our kids, which is here in Nashville that I've worked on. I've worked with for the better part of a decade. And to your point, the, the issue of sexual assault with children, one in four girls, one in seven boys are the statistics that you need to know. That's hard to hear. But Jasper's has done more for, to help the children of Middle Tennessee than the NHL did with this situation. So I, I don't disagree with you. Now, I don't know how many draft picks and how many dollars you can put on. Uh, like, I don't know how you do that. I don't. Okay, well, three is enough, but four is too many. Two is not enough. Like, I, I think it is hard to, like, punitively come up with the number that is that is guilty. Now, it has to be severe enough that if this were to ever happen again, right. God forbid, that the 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 threat of potential penalty would force change or would force them not to repeat right. the same thing that happened before. So I, I think gotta be multiple first round picks. I think in a vacuum, you could argue one pick versus three picks versus two picks versus four picks, $2 million versus $5 million versus $1 million. You could have debates about what's the right thing in a vacuum. You cannot have that argument. If you then take into context, what the NHL has penalized other teams for doing, that is where the NHL was going should lose all of you in terms of the not hypocrisy is not the right word, but just sort of a level of like precedent that you have set. So let's go through the let's start with New Jersey in 2010. This was over a decade ago. First of all, if you can get a 17 year, $102 million contract, God bless you. So the New Jersey Devils signed Ilya Kovalchuk to a $17 million or 17 year contract, which is absurd. And, and because they sort of came up with some rules that skirt the salary cap, they are fined $3 million, a first-round pick, and a third-round pick. So right there I'll alone... Also, I'll also point out that the, at the time, that contract was legal. There was there, The NHL was mad because they said the Devils were trying to circumvent the salary cap. It was a legal contract when they gave it to them. Right, so, so they did something technically within the rules and were fined a million dollars more and lost a first and a third-round pick. So now you're looking at the, the issues with the Blackhawks. And it's not even close to comparable, right? Like you can't even close. Now let's go to Arizona, which to me, this is even <laughs> dumber. It is the NHL. In, in the 20, going into the 2021 draft, Arizona illegally tested some prospects pre-draft, 20 prospects. They lost a first round pick and a second round pick for illegally pre-draft testing prospects. Okay. Uh, what does that mean? Like, Height, weight, forty time. Like, they might have measured them. I don't know. Did they what have like lateral drills? I, I have no idea. 
but they, they violated the league's combine testing policy, which is so. So if you are a fan of hockey and you hear the Blackhawks did this awful, awful, awful thing and you want to th- and you want to say, oh, two million dollars, that's worth it. That's a totally fine, fine thing. I'm OK with you making that argument inside the framework of just that story. But when you compare it to the things that the NHL has done elsewhere for far sig- like significantly lesser offenses. Uh, again, pre-draft workouts and giving a legal contract, $3 million, a first round pick, a third round pick, a first round pick, and a second round pick for illegal pre-draft testing. And the Blackhawks lost no picks and paid a $2 million fine for covering up sexual assault in its organization during a Stanley Cup championship era. I That is where you will lose everyone. And even if you are a Blackhawks fan, you have to acknowledge that, that is, those, are, those, those penalties do not fit the crime. And that you probably shouldn't have a first round pick right now. But oh, oh exactly. I mean, it is what it we're is. Ta- we're talking about sexual abuse of a 20 year old kid. And all that they had was a two million dollar fine, basically, because you could argue that the people that ended up stepping aside or whatever, they, it was going to they were going to run their course eventually. It, they didn't even have to deal with the public shame of being fired or having to answer questions with the media or anything like that. They all got to release a statement saying it's best for the organization if we part ways. And they quietly went off into the sunset. Oh, and by the way, Gary Bettman said that all of them are allowed to come back to the NHL, but they have to basically apply for a reinstatement thing where they have to meet with him and discuss what could happen for them to come back. Not a lifetime ban, not anything where they have to answer or suffer any consequences for their actions. They are allowed to come back to the NHL, but they have to apply for reinstatement and meet with him first. There's talks of Joel Quinville being the the front runner to be the the next uh, head coach of the New York Rangers, for crying out loud. This is what is fundamentally wrong with the NHL right now where you are taking away multiple picks from a team that gave out a legal contract at the time. You're taking away multiple picks from a team because they tested a few players at the combine, what, a couple weeks early? And then you have a kid that was sexually abused by an employee of of an an NHL organization, and all the ramifications from that were a $2 million fine. Oh, and by the way, you get the first pick in the draft for a generational player that just already sold you more, more made you more money in the last 24 if, hours but to pay in your fine. Let me ask you this. If they had gotten the third pick in the draft, like they were technically supposed to, are people as outraged? Are, are we, are we choosing to be outraged about this now? Cause I know you're not, I know you've mentioned it before that they should have been hit with a harder penalty, that this is why I dislike this organization, not because they're the Preds rival. I think it's easy for people outside to see Preds fans screaming sour grapes about this because the, Oh, this is Chicago now has the first pick. And I want to be very clear. I think, Michael, you have said this, I, I don't know, ever since you knew who Connor Bedard was and that the Blackhawks started trading all their players away last year, that you were saying, I I can't believe that this organization with this history and this track record is going to get this player. So I'd like to think that you were kind of, you're not one of these people that has just come along and said, oh, now that they've got the first pick, I'm pissed off about what they did with Kyle Beach. I, I think we've all been pretty pissed off about this stuff for a while. It, it just sort of, it, it moves along, uh, you know, like, unfortunately, the world keeps turning and like, you know, the headlines yeah. aren't aren't as big. And I think now that the world is seeing what because certainly there are plenty of people on Twitter that think it really was rigged, right, that they really did just give Connor Bedard to Chicago. And yeah. while I don't really believe that it's certainly within the realm of possibility, but I don't believe it. I think now is an OK time for people to say, wait a second, why did they have the pick in the first place now? You know, should we have been screaming that for the last two years? Probably. We probably should have been screaming, hey, why didn't we get why weren't there more more of a punishment? Uh, and I, I I I I didn't I have a lot of opinions on this exact issue, but I tried to stay away from it because I get fired up and passionate about it. It's probably the one time you'll hear me not be, be monotone. But I the fact that they and look, if they weren't going through re, a rebuilding phase, if this was the Chicago Blackhawks team of prime Patrick Kane and prime Jonathan Taze, they probably would have lost one first-round draft pick in what they would have called it a day because the team can still be competitive without that first-round draft pick. The NHL wants Chicago to be competitive. They want the rebuild to be accelerated for them, and I think that's largely why they didn't lose any draft compensation at all because the league was looking at it and being like, well, they're bad. They're going to have a lot of high draft picks probably for two, three, four years, and especially in a draft as loaded as this one with Connor Bedard at the very top. It does no good for the NHL to take that pick away from them and cost Chicago a player like Connor Bedard, because the longer Chicago is a, is a basement dweller, the worse it is for the NHL. And it all comes down to yeah. money. 
It all comes down to winning and money, which is why the Kyle Beach thing happened in the first place. Because if someone would have spoke up then and brought this to light, there's no way the Chicago Blackhawks would have won a Stanley Cup in 2010. The NHL would have had to have taken action and and canceled their postseason if that would happen. Or or just something like, you know, a a GM and a coach is fired. There's draft picks that are removed. Like if if it comes out in the middle of it, you you know, something's going to happen. And and to your point, I have been worked up about this for a while. And it's not just because they got Connor Bedard. I, I saw this happening last year. I said, there's, there's, there's no possible way Chicago is not going to end up with Connor Bedard in this draft because that's just the way things work out. We, but we I talked think, about I think, it. Yeah, I think there's a lot of people that have been worked up about this for a while. But I think there you have you have more people that are that are suddenly have this new anger just because it's it's Chicago with the number one pick and it's Connor Bedard. To your point, if they were drafting third, Leo Carlson's a fine player. Will Smith's a fine player. They're not franchise changing players like Connor Bedard. I don't think as many people would be up in arms. But because they are getting someone who is who is looked at and perceived as an equivalent to Connor McDavid, basically, yeah. yes, there's a lot of people that are more pissed off about that because of the player. They're 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 looking at it as Chicago's being rewarded for being a slimy organization. I also think it's there's just a lot of sports fans in general. Social media was not nearly as big in 2010. They don't know about the Ilya Kovalchuk deal. Like I don't think a lot of sports fans remember the 17 year contract or that the Devils lost two draft picks from that. I, the Arizona thing, they had so many draft picks, it you couldn't even tell that they lost draft picks. If yeah, you, it didn't matter. Like so, I, I don't think these were not huge. Like I think in NHL deep in NHL circles, they were big stories. But they were not big stories nationally. Certainly, one that happened 13 years ago is not relevant necessarily to to yeah. you know anybody that's watching Preds hockey right now necessarily. So I think it, there's a big part of this that's like, no, 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 this has happened. We need to now point out the inconsistencies within the NHL structure on this, and and how it's just it doesn't make any sense that this is what happened with Chicago and this is what happened with Arizona and this is what happened with New Jersey. And I'll admit that I forgot a lot about the Kovalchuk stuff. Like, I knew they got a penalty, but I would never have told you off the top of my head that they got a million-dollar greater fine and lost two picks more than Chicago for what they did in, in terms of signing him than what Chicago. If you would have t- asked me yesterday, I would have been like, oh, no, I, they probably got hit with a fine and lost a late pick. And, like, I would not have – I would have remembered maybe that it happened, but I would not have remembered the details. And when you start yeah. comparing the details, I think people are going, wait a second. Why does Chicago even have this pick? And so I think that's where this is coming from. It's not just that they're number one. You know what else would solve this problem? The 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 order of finish dictating where you pick in the draft. <laughs> that, that would also solve exactly. this problem. That would also solve this problem to some degree uh, as well. They'd still have a pick, but they'd be picking third, and maybe fans wouldn't be as upset about it. But it so wasn't in the, just- in the last two weeks. We have we have fixed the draft order and we have fixed the playoff. <laughs> You're welcome, was- NHL. It was not just Predators fans pissed off about this either, by the way. There was a lot of hockey people that care about the sport, that care about the product, that care about the league, that love hockey from all over the country that were comparing Arizona to New Jersey to Chicago situations and saying, basically, what the fuck? And let let me let me clarify about this, too. I'm not this worked up. I, I, I don't hate Chicago or I don't have any ill will toward Chicago or the Blackhawks or any anything like that because I'm a Preds fan. I'm a Preds journalist. Yes. But I'm a hockey fan, and more importantly than that, I would like to think that I'm a decent human being. My issue has nothing to do. If this would have been the Tampa Bay Lightning, I would be equally as pissed off about this because of of the whole just disgusting nature of what happened. So this has nothing to do with the fact of the Preds-Blackhawks rivalry. There are plenty of people (laughs) I I saw tweeting that that are other hockey journalists, just other people that are in the hockey universe that that are upset about it just because of what happened, not because it's the Chicago Blackhawks. You and I are worked up on this pod because of a very particular issue that is very close to both of us. But at the same time, it should be close to everybody. But at the same time, the reason it is the comp- comparisons are coming up. The reason that we are re- the the hockey world writ large is retelling the stories of New Jersey and Chicago and Arizona in this conversation is because Chicago was just essentially given Connor Bedard, and that is why it's resurfacing. And I think there's a lot of new fans that are learning all that information. So I'll I'll, I'll just leave it there. We're all pissed off about it. We, we can be pissed off about it for different reasons, but it's okay to be pissed off about it. <laughs> I think I think that's. That's where we're at with this. We should and, all be pissed uh, off together at Jasper's with $3 beers. Bingo. See, that is called a segue into Jasper's, <laughs> folks. Um, here's the thing. I don't know what we're going to do around the draft, but we got to figure out something that we can do with you, the listeners, the Preds fans out there, Bridgestone Arena, Jasper's. We got to figure out what we can do 
to muck up Chicago's experience. Like we've got to figure it out. I don't know what to do. I don't, I'm all for Sean Henry. Keep the red out. I don't know what Jaspers can do. We're going to brainstorm. If you want to get a nice mother's day gift, I guess go to Jaspers this weekend. (laughs) Go get your mom something, get some cheesecake. I don't know. Get her, get her a gift card. Uh, take her out to dinner, take her out to lunch. Your mom's important. Go take your mom to Jasper's. Uh, all right. <laughs> for everybody. That uh, works. But we'll figure out something. We'll figure out something that we can do with you, with you knucklehead Blackhawk fans that are going to come into town. And I'm sure like to your point, I'm assuming you're going to buy up a whole lot of seats, um, in that draft. Now the Preds are going to have a lot of action in that draft. Go to Jasper's. The Preds are going to have a lot of action and you're going to give us a bit of a primer on some of those players that could be available around pick 15, which is the Preds first pick, but also a whole lot of other picks. And we're going to spend a lot of time between now and June 28th discussing a lot of these options, some of these prospects. We'll give you a quick primer on that a little bit later on. Uh, But let's get into the Milwaukee Admirals and uh, the way they win their first round series. I want to know what the prospects have done. I want to know what we learned about Carl Taylor, and I want to know why players on a hockey team shouldn't run into each other with seconds remaining in a game-deciding series matchup in game number five of the AHL playoffs. Can you do all that for me, Michael? I sure can. So Milwaukee advances. They will play Texas in the second round of the AHL playoffs. Of course, Michael, you'll have a preview up there, Nashville Hockey Now. You'll have a preview of them, uh, of that series coming up. But... I think for the first part of this is um, the the Spencer Stasny story, I think, is interesting. You know, it's a, a guy who played at Notre Dame. He comes right up and gets a cup of coffee in the NHL. Ends up, he's from Milwaukee. Gets to score the game-winning goal in Game 5, as we alluded to. Uh, a beautiful p- pass by Zach Stan- Sanford, by the way. Just an extraordinary pass by him. Um, special thanks to the <laughs> the Manitoba Moose for running into each other, of course. Uh, but but a cool moment there. I mean, I... I I was uh I was listening to to Gover talk um with the HL broadcast team on It's All Your Fault. Go check out that pod. Uh, only three thousand people in attendance in a nine thousand seat building, but it's hard to sell tickets because you don't know when the games are happening. But that's got to be a cool moment for Spencer Stasny. And I, I, I guess one of my first questions to you is: Is the defense um pipeline for this for this franchise as like terrible as we think it is, or are there a couple of guys like Stasny? great skaters, maybe not all-star players, but like good enough to come up and play real minutes in the NHL in the next couple of years. Will will be will be as well. Yeah, I mean it's the pipeline for for the Predators and with defense isn't as strong as it has been and what I think fans are used to and kind of what they got spoiled with. Like there's no Shea Weber, there's no Ryan Suter, there's no Roman Yossi right now. That could change with the draft coming up. Um Obviously, if you're a Preds fan, you hope one of those two first round picks is a defenseman because you don't they don't really have kind of anyone that really makes you be get excited about. They don't have that blue chip prospect, I think, is, is what David Boyle was, was saying a couple weeks ago. But they, they do have some they do have depth. They do have some solid guys. They have some guys that I think will be solid, a, a solid NHL players. And I think back to, you know, when Kevin Klein was here, he was a really good second pairing defenseman that could maybe go on the third line if you needed to he could play on the on the first pairing for for a couple games so obviously out of, out of all the the defensive players they have Ryan Ufko is probably their best defensive prospect and he had a really good year this year um and then behind him there's 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 some guys that no one really well I don't say no one not a lot of people know about you have uh I'm probably gonna butcher some of these names Semyon Shostakov um Spencer Stasny obviously worked his way up there and a lot of people know who he is now uh Mark Delgaiza who's also with the Milwaukee Admirals Casper uh, Kulanomi, uh, Anton Olsen. So they do have some depth and they have some solid players, but they don't have anyone that's probably going to turn into a Roman Yossi, Seth Jones, Shea Weber kind of guy. But yes, I, I do think, I do think the more these guys play and the more, excuse me, especially Milwaukee, the more time they get, you do have some, you do have a couple guys that could turn into solid NHL players. I, I think Stasny is one of those interesting guys, like a lot of experience, a little bit older, played a lot of hockey in college. Uh, obviously was was trusted enough to go from college to Milwaukee to the Preds pretty quickly. Obviously not ideal, not part of the plan, but then back and playing meaningful minutes. Uh, it, sort of a prototypical Preds defenseman, right? Really good skater. Um, and then, of course, he makes the – he's not known for his offense, but makes the big play to win the game. I, I'm not suggesting that because he made that big play, he's all of a sudden some prospect. I was just curious if if we think maybe – again, I'm with you. I don't think there's an all-star in the, in the, pri- in the pipeline here, but maybe there are a few guys that – are sort of Preds style defensemen that could come up and play second line, third line minutes. 
Uh, you mentioned uh, a defenseman in the first round. We'll get to that in just a minute. They have not. I don't believe they've selected a defenseman in the first round since Dante Fabro in 2016. So with two yeah. picks, with two picks in the first round, that's some, some, something you'd like to see them do. Although we'll get to where the strength of this defense class may lie in the draft. Uh, we'll give you guys a primer here coming up in, in just a minute. Um, Carl Taylor becomes the first Milwaukee head coach to win a playoff series in back-to-back years. I find that to be with as good as that franchise has been. I find that <laughs> yeah. to be, and as good as the coaches have been, I find that like astonishing that it's the first year that they've ever done that. And frankly, the number of dudes that you are going to like that this rot, this is not even an, we talked about this last week. Like it's not even an AHL roster anymore. <laughs> like it's, they should be winning playoff series. This, and, and again, against Texas. I don't, I don't have the Vegas odds in front of me, dude, on a, on Calder cup series, but I'm assuming that they have just as good a chance to win this series as, as anybody. Yeah. I mean, and, and the cool thing about this too is uh, Texas is where Carl Taylor came from before he joined the Milwaukee Admirals. He was an assistant coach there and, led them on on their Calder Cup run. Um, so there's a little bit of history. And you got to remember, too, the last time these two teams played together, Yaroslav Askarov was out there throwing knuckles at the other goalie and, like, <laughs> all hell broke loose. And just with his fiery personality, like, it's going to be a fun series to watch. You have the, the Carl Taylor versus his old team aspect. You have these two teams gotten to this hellacious final last time they played. It's the Central Division final. Obviously, whoever wins this series is going to probably be at least one of the favorites to go on and maybe potentially win a Calder Cup. I mean, there's a lot for for an AHL series fans should Predators fans have a lot invested coming up on Friday. Well, and, and a lot of names you're going to recognize, as uh, Barry Trotz said, uh, they could have six first round uh, prospects playing there in Milwaukee next year. We we did some math before the show. It could be seven. Uh, in, yeah. the, in theory, it could be seven. You've got LaRue, Tomasino, Kemmel, Askarov, and uh, Svechkov, as well as the two guys they may draft this year. So it, it it is, although I I think you and I would agree, we hope not all those players are in Milwaukee. <laughs> and Reed Schaefer. We didn't we didn't mention Reed Schaefer. Oh yeah, that's right. Um so uh so I I don't know what we can learn. If they if they win a series, it's like good job, Carl Taylor, good job, young players, but all of you kind of have some NHL experience. So like I I you know, it's a it's a very meaningful experience for a lot of young players to be playing in these types of minutes win or lose. And I think that's sort of what I think as a fan you take away is don't get too too upset if they lose the series. Don't get too excited if they win it, but just be satisfied with the fact that these young players are getting sort of meaningful playoff style minutes at their level of development. I think that's all you really can ask for. Yeah. We talked about it on the podcast. I believe it was last week or the week before they, the, the Admiral's roster has like something like 250 combined any games of NHL experience from this season. And I think when they fell down two games to one against the Moose and they were in that elimination game five, um, it was kind of, or they were in the elimination game four and then the winner take all game five. I think that was something that a lot of those players kind of leaned on was the experience they had in the final 20 games in, in Nashville and kind of going through what it was like to be a part of, you know, and, and, and uh, an NHL playoff experience. So I think they, a lot of the guys kind of leaned on that too. And I'm not saying that's, that, that particularly won them the series, they obviously had to come back and win two games in a row. Um, but I do think that that experience was something that really kind of helped them because a lot of them had been like, okay, well, we just did this, what, two, three weeks ago. They, they kind of drew on that and that really helped them kind of seal that series, I think. And, and we have sort of a summer catch up with Carl Taylor every year on the show. I'm really looking forward to it this year because uh, of all the stuff you just alluded to and all the names and all the players and the future of the franchise and all that stuff um, should be very interesting. Again, check out the Nashville Hockey Now website and Twitter accounts and social feeds. Um, you get a preview of the Admirals versus Texas, Milwaukee versus Texas, second round AHL playoff series from Michael and the guys over there at Nashville Hockey Now. And make sure you check out It's All Your Fault, of course, Nashville Scene, Nashville Post, Jeremy Gover, uh, excellent partner podcast over there on that platform as well. Okay, let's let's do a quick primer here for folks that don't know much about the draft. And obviously, everyone knows the name Connor Bedard. You may know the name Fantelli, who seems to be the the number two pick in the draft by and large. It feels like the draft begins at number three. That is where we don't really know what's going to happen. From a Preds perspective, there's a couple of observations that I want to see if you agree with from doing some prep work of my own here, because I you you are far deeper into this stuff than I am. Um, it feels like the defense class not as strong as it has been in the past. There's not an elite prospect. Maybe the David Reinbacher kid, the Swiss player, is maybe the number one clear-cut defense prospect. He may make it to them at 15. It seems doubtful. 
Um, Arizona with two picks in the top 12 seems like a, a franchise that would be targeting a defenseman. Um, but a very, very deep forward class in particular. So is any of is, is all of that track with what your perspective is of the draft? Yeah, I mean, there's not usually there's a consensus clear cut number one forward, number one defenseman. The forward is Connor Bedard. There's not there's not really a consensus on who the top defenseman is. I've seen some mock drafts, David Reinbach. I, I would say Reinbacher probably seems to be who most draft experts have going first. Um, but also, I mean, Axel Sandin Pelica, uh, I don't I'll probably butcher his last name. No, I think you got that exactly right. Actually, that's a, that's a tough one, but he's also, a, he's a Swedish defenseman. So Predators fans yeah, should, he, know, should know that name. He's someone who I really like, and we'll talk about him in a minute. I watched some tape over uh, on him over the last couple of days. Uh, Mikhail Gulyayev. I, I, I don't know if I'm saying that right. That sounds uh, right. <laughs> Lucas Dra- Dragasevic. I mean, there, there's some other guys that are in that first round range, but I do think Reinbacher probably is who most draft draft experts are leaning towards being the first guy off. Um, I've seen a lot of mock drafts have him somewhere in the eight, nine, ten range. Washington, maybe Detroit, uh, St. Louis. I, I don't see him falling to Nashville at fifteen, yeah. so he might be off the board by then. But there's still a lot of there's still a lot of other good defensemen that they can probably get if they want. I think it just depends on what does what is Barry Trotz prioritizing? Is he prioritizing going out and getting a scoring forward to put in the pipeline, or do they do they feel the need to restock the cupboard with the blue line? Because like we just said uh, a few minutes ago, they have depth, but they don't really have anyone that looks like they're going to be you know a top pairing defenseman. So I think it just kind of depends on what does Trotz prioritize with this team. You know, he he's mentioned that they haven't had that game-changing center. is that and That's something I want to ask the scouts when we talk to them today. Do they feel like they can get that guy at 15? Do you feel like there's a game-changing, a franchise-changing center at pick 15 that you can get? And if there's a defenseman you like and that center there, which which way do you go? Yeah, I think I am sort of, after studying this, and if you look at, like, let's say Corey Promen's uh, rankings at The Athletic, which he always does a pretty good job. He's got David Reinbacher at number seven overall. He's got Dmitry Simishmev. Simashev, I think, uh, from Russia, 6'4", 200-pounder. He's got him at number 10 on his overall prospect list. Tom Willander, another Swede, def- Swedish defenseman, at number 15. He's got Axel Sandin Pelica at, at number 22. To your which point... Is way, uh, way too low, if you ask me. It, it, which, which could be good for the Predators, frankly, though. There's there's it a few other ones. Like, I mean, there's a bunch of other names here. I've seen the Tanner uh, Molendyke kid out of Canada ranked in the top 25. I've seen Oliver Brock ranked in the top 30 as well. It's even top 20 by some people. Both the, I think he's also from Canada. Um, so I think my, my question, though, is it's like if it's Reinbacher, but I, I like Pelica as well, but I think he's at 5'10", 175. He is a prototypical Preds defenseman, great skater, point-per-game kind of guy. But like I don't think they need that guy. I think they need the Ekholm guy. I think they need the big 6'2", you know, kind of burly. I don't think they need another... Carrier Yossi type player, uh, which is why I like the the, the big Russian kid um, Simashev. I think is probably how you say his name. Uh, I like him a lot. I like Willander a lot. I like Reinbacher a lot. And if one of them falls to you at fifteen, if Reinbacher in particular falls to you at fifteen, I think you take him no no brainer. But I don't think he does. I think because you have two seconds and then you have the Edmonton pick in the mid twenties, you could probably take two of these defensemen. Because they're going to keep falling, and they're all kind of evaluated at the same. Does it make sense to take? Because the forward draft is so top heavy, to take your guy at fifteen, and then use like two of those next three picks on defensemen, because you think that a you're great at developing them, but b there's not a huge there's not a huge gap between defenseman number two or three, which might be the guy you're picking at fifteen, versus this defenseman fifth five six seven or eight. Does that does that make sense? Like. If there's not a yeah. huge gap, if there's not a huge gap between defenseman three and defenseman nine, why not take two of them later in the first and early second, and then take your best forward at fifteen? And I think that's something that is definitely a possibility. And we have seen outside of Ryan Suter, the the defensemen that that the Predators draft that usually turn out being the really good defensemen are the guys they get in the second round: Roman Yossi, Shea Weber, uh, Sam Gerrard. They have a proven track record, especially this scouting scouting staff of of knowing. Maybe that maybe they know that maybe they're like, okay, the drop off between the third best defenseman and the seventh best defenseman is like splitting hairs. So if the third best defenseman goes at the end of the first round, as long as four, five, six, seven guys are still there, it doesn't matter because it's basically the same player. And it comes it comes down to just a coin flip of of which guy you prefer. Maybe that's something they've talked about. I I do think 
with Barry Trotz coming in and what he said, what they're going to be looking for. I do think they go pick 15. They go probably center if there is someone on the board that they love. Um, and it could be a situation like last year where Joachim Kemmel was a projected top 10 pick and he falls to them at 17. I mean, that's not entirely out of the realm of possibility either. That happened years before that with Ellie Tolvin was a projected top 15 pick, fell to 30. I mean, we've seen guys that are yep. really talented offensive scorers fall for whatever reason. Um, it happened It happened last year too, I think, with uh, Dania Yurov, the, the Russian forward. He fell to, to Minnesota. So, I mean, it happens every year. There's probably going to be a forward that falls down in the in the Predators range where they probably didn't expect they have to consider that they take him. Is there someone on their board they like better? Um, but I do think you're right with that second first round pick Edmonton's probably going to be in the 25 to 28, 30 range, somewhere in there. Maybe that's where you go and get, you get one of these defensemen that fall. Um, I don't know what their, how they view David Reinbacher. Maybe if he falls to 15, maybe they feel like that's too good to pass up and they, and they jump on him. I, I'm not really sure how this is going to work. It's that's one of the great things about the draft is unlike with the NFL, where you kind of have an idea where teams are going with the NHL. You usually don't. You're like, <laughs> no it, it's very easy. They need to, they need a forward. This is the best guy available. And then right, right. find out that they pass like, there's just so much craziness with the they, NHL draft, so it'll be fun to watch. They've got Pecorina and UC Saros, so they're going to draft a goaltender. Um, David, I, I will say with Sandine Pelica, though, I know I know he's more of a Ryan Ellis type guy. He's smaller, he's faster, he's more offensive minded. Barry Trotz did say that they they want to go out and collect speed and skill. That's true. Sandine Pelica has that in spades. I mean, Ryan Walker is more of the more well-rounded defenseman. He's 6'2", 185 pounds. Like, he's more of that prototypical guy. But I I, I just, man, go, if you if you are a fan of offense, go watch highlights of, of Axel Sandin Pelica on YouTube. That, the kid is fun to watch. I, I started reading up on him, and I was like, this is the guy Michael's been talking about all week. <laughs> is it, is it that, not the that's, guy? If they pick a defenseman, that's who I would love to see them pick because I feel like he fits the, their offensive system so well. I feel like he's got the speed and the skill to play yeah. defense really well. I, there's just a lot to like about him. I mean, he's really good with his edge work. I mean, he's really mobile. He's a strong puck carrier. I mean, he one thing I, I know I know I watched about him is he's really when he's skating backwards and defending. Most defensemen, it takes them a little bit to kind of get their bearings and, and kind of get settled. He's just as good defending skating backwards as he is when he when he's just defending normally. He, he he is like tailor made out of a laboratory for to be a Nashville Predators defenseman. He's a Swedish exactly. a Swedish defenseman who's a, who's a touch undersized but very offensive and a great skater. It's like he was made in a laboratory. I think he could be there at fifteen. The question is, I, I think you need to be sure of the size and what you need on the defense pairing. I I think if Reinbacher's there, you take him, no question. But let's talk about some of the forwards that could fall. Number one, I think it needs to be a center. Like I don't, I don't think they yeah. need another winger. I think I need, they need a true centerman. And also, almost every Stanley Cup team of recent note needs to have a Braden on the team. So I think Braden <laughs> Yeager is the guy that you're seeing mocked to them a lot at 15. He's a center who used to be a top 10 prospect who maybe is dropping a little bit in the rankings for you know whatever reason, but he could st fall and be available. There's two other names I want to throw out there. One guy is probably more like Reinbacher. No chance to get him unless you make a big move to go up and get him. That's the guy that I really like, and I'm not saying that he's better than the top four or five guys, but it just seems like the top four or five are kind of set. And if this guy falls to like six, seven, or eight, he's the one name that I think has like top three, top four ability that might fall, that might be worth trading up to go get, and that's Leo Carlson, uh, the, the the centerman who is at one point viewed sort of on the same, not the same tier as as Bedard, but sort of like that the next best player. And if he were to fall. I don't think he does, but if he were to fall, that's the guy like at six, seven or eight, I could, I would be like, I think it would be worth to go up and try to get that guy. The other one. So I want to know what you think about that. But the other one is the Russian that has elite ability as well. Matt Vey Mitchkov, but nobody knows anything about him because of all the, the, you know, this war that's happening. Um, yeah. And you're not going to get him for like two or three years. I think that's another guy that could fall, and and he might even fall further. So I think if you want Carlson, you probably need to go up to like five, six, or seven. If you want, which doesn't happen very often in the NHL draft. If you want Mitchkov, that's a guy that could fall to like twelve, and then maybe you just have to give up a couple of things to go up and get him. I I don't know if that's worth the risk to you. He's more of a winger, whereas Carlson's more of the center. Of course, if you just sat in fifteen, you probably get a pretty good forward as well because. If a couple of defensemen go early because people are reaching, that pushes those good forwards, those good centermen down the board a bit. Yeah, I mean, with with Mishkov, I, I've seen a lot of uh, draft analysts say that if Connor Bedard wasn't coming out in this draft, 
Mishkov would have been the number one pick. He's uber talented. He's he's got elite skill. He's he's an offensive sniper. Like everything that the Predators franchise has wanted and hasn't been able to find, that kid has it. But the the, the problem is, and this might cause him to fall later on to the top ten or maybe even out of the top ten. He's playing in Russia. We still don't know what's going on over there with the political climate and stuff like that. He's under contract with the KHL, I believe, through the 25-26 season. So if you draft him, yep. you're you're getting him at 2026 at the earliest. And maybe that's something that the Predators are okay with. I mean, Barry Trotz has said they're right now they're just collecting assets and he's not calling this a, a rebuild or a teardown because he thinks they could be competitive. Maybe, maybe that's something that that they like. Maybe that would entice them to go up if he falls to 12. Maybe they move up three picks and give up one of their second rounders and I don't know, a mid-level prospect or something to go up and get this kid because he could be that good. Yeah, you have to you have to basically wait on him for three years. He's going to be playing in the KHL. He's going to be playing in, a, in, a, in the, <clears throat> the second-best league in the world against other grown professional athletes. So maybe that's appealing to them. I, I do think it's risky to, to do that. But it's one of those things, if you don't take the risk, you can't get the reward. And the reward and the payoff could potentially be huge given how talented he is. With Carlson, I, I don't think he falls very far. I, I mean, I, I think three or four is probably about where he goes, um, barring anything coming out between now and the draft, character issues, you know, Laramie Tunsil type stuff before the draft. But Carlson, <laughs> uh, I mean, he he's someone who, who uh, he's fun to watch as well. He 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 gets a lot of scoring chances and, and they're high percentage chances as well. He's got great hands. He He's willing to go in front of the net and shoot everything that you want from a forward. Um, everything that Victor Arvidsson did really, did really well is kind of what Leo Carlson does really well. He's an excellent playmaker. He's very creative offensively. He can run a power play. Um, I mean, there, there's the only thing that he he really doesn't do well is create separation when he's trying to shoot, and that's maybe something you you could work on him and coach him. But I just I he's too good. The the potential is too great. Yeah. To, I, I think to see him fall past five, he, but he, he's if, Arvidsson, he, if, he, if he does, maybe you go up and get him. He, he's he first of all he's Arvidsson who plays center at six foot three. That's the difference. Yeah, like like to, and again you don't Arvidsson see a lot of, skill set, not Arvidsson's right. frame. You see a lot of you see a lot of trades, and we were talking about this before the show. You see a lot of trades, and the Preds have done this where you kind of go into the, the 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 back half, the last ten picks of the first round. Maybe you go from twenty four to sixteen. Like you see kind of a lot of those trades more. Routine. You do not see a lot of moves like in the NFL. Where you go from you know fourteen to seven, or like the Texans did when they went from twelve to three, like you in the tech, in the NFL draft, you do not. It doesn't feel like you see a lot of that because when you have an opportunity at a generational talent in hockey, you just you just always have to take the player. It's kind of like the NBA; you don't see as many like like we were talking earlier. You just don't see as many players fall because they're they're sort of evaluated pretty well. Uh, um, I, I think. I just I just think that if there's a chance that the people reach on defensemen and one of those two Carlson or Mitchkoff start to fall, that would be the, the the two names that I sort of like to go. Like I think Will Smith is a really nice player. I think there's a lot of really nice pieces in this draft. Very deep. It's a good actor too. The, right. The the key is like Braden Yeager, for example, at 15. How much better is Leo Carlson's upside than a guy like Braden Yeager? And while the, the forward group is very deep. And I'm not going to pretend to know the difference to that question. If the, I, Carlson is the guy that, of all the the profiles I read, he's the one that I feel like gives the Preds the thing they need the most. And it, but it might cost you way too. It might cost you a second and two firsts to go get him at number six, let's say, because Arizona's got another pick. Maybe that's a, a place that if he falls, Arizona feels like, oh, I, we could stockpile assets and continue to add pieces. We don't. We can move back. We've already got the 12th pick, so we don't need to move back. Mitchkoff could be the guy that falls to like 10, 11, 12. So I, I don't know. Just I just just some, some names to keep an eye on if they fall. Um, if if they're not picking, I mean, if they're not moving up and they're picking at 15, quickly, give me a couple of names outside of Jaeger that, that you like um, at, the, at the 15 spot. Yeah, so obviously center should be the priority because that it just seems like that's the one area this team hasn't been able to lock down. The forward depth in Milwaukee is really great, but most of them, all of them are wingers. Um, I do think Jaeger is probably the guy that would be around. Um, and there's a lot, there's a lot to like about him. He's he plays an attacking puck dominant game. He's a smooth skater. He's got a wrister with a quick release. I mean, he he's got all the the tools that you would like. It's probably gonna take him a couple of years, and and most of these guys is gonna take a couple of years before you see him. Um, Riley Height is another one in the WHL. Uh, he's very quick. He's not afraid to be physical. He makes play uh, makes a lot of plays on the rush. Um, 
obviously that's kind of bread and butter the way the Preds play. So I feel like he would fit with them stylistically. Um, Callum Ritchie is another center. He plays for the Oshawa Generals in the OHL. Um, he's got quick hands. He's a really good passer, strong penalty killer, and a faceoff specialist. So he's he's a, a center, but he's got some of the, the makings of the defensive game that that the Predators would like. Um, and then you, if you're, if not a center, probably a winger. You're looking at Colby Barlow, the OHL, Andrew Cristal, the WHL, uh, Ethan Gauthier. Um, and the guy, the guy that I really like, and I told you last night, the guy that I'm really high on that I think fits them really well that I would love to see. And I, I know they need a center, but he's, he's almost too good to pass up if he's there at 15 is Gabe Perot with the U.S. National uh, Development Team. He just broke Austin Matthews single season scoring record. Um, like the, the, the kid's crazy. I, go watch his film. Go read about him. I would be if I was a Preds fan, I would be ecstatic if he was there and they took him because all the offensive skill that you could possibly want. He's got quick hands. He's very intuitive. He's got a really quick shot. He's good at seeing a play develop before it actually happens. Like everything that you would want out of a top four of a top six forward, he's got it. So if he's there, he might be too good to pass up. No, I agree with you. I've seen him mocked uh, as high as number seven. I think he's ranked by most in the top 10. So I, I don't know if he makes it there. Nate Danielson's another center to keep an eye on uh, as as well. You've got uh, Dalibor Davosky. Um, he's another guy that's in there and then, uh, Oliver Moore, uh, as well. So there's, there, this is, th- this is the argument to your point. One of these guys is going to fall. We've seen the predators take advantage of this. How many times you've already mentioned a few different times. I mean, even a Askarov falling to 12 was, was in theory, a bit of a lucky play for them. So I, I think you, I, I think they've done a great job of letting the draft come to them, which is why you don't see a lot of trade ups. And they've gotten great value with their picks. Uh, again, whether that's Mitchkoff falling or one of the centermen we just mentioned, it does feel like there's too many good players for one of them not to fall to them at 15, especially at center, right? Isn't that kind of like it's again, it feels like center, whoever falls to you at center, and then your next two picks, late 20s and then early mid second round are, are defensemen, and then go back to center again with your second round pick again. It, it feels like you want two center and two defensemen. Or at least a center and a forward and two defensemen with your first four picks in the first two rounds, right? Yeah, I think you have to come away with at least two defensemen out of those four picks. Doesn't I don't really think it matters yeah. which order you yeah. take them, but yeah. you you need at least minimum two defensemen and a center somewhere somewhere in there. Whatever the yeah. fourth pick is, you can go whatever best player available. I agree, uh, and the best place available to go eat and watch all this good stuff, AHL stuff. NBA playoffs, Stanley Cup playoffs, of course, is Jasper's. So go to Jasper's, everybody. Um, obviously, great place to do kind of anything. You got the game room for the kids. It's fun for like uh, if you're going to happy hour after work with the guys. If you want to take the spouse, it's a great place to have a meal. You'll never pay for parking. Uh, super convenient and accessible to, to all the different big arteries going in and out of town. So um, great food. Next evolution of the sports bar. Make sure you go check out. Uh, Jaspers. Any takeaways from the Stanley Cup playoffs, Michael, that you'd like to get under the pot here before we let everybody go for the week? Uh, the Seattle Kraken, man. They're they're <laughs> building something there. That's all I got to say. I mean, we've talked about them kind of robbing the Predators of Ellie Tolvanen, but they have so many good young forwards. Yeah. That team, I think I, myself included, criticized them last year because we saw what Vegas did. And I was just like, well, Seattle clearly is taking the opposite road that Vegas is. And I was wrong. They they know what they're doing there. They've got an exciting young team. And I think it's going to be it's going to be exciting for for Kraken fan to watch that team. Not not just this year, but that, I mean, theoretically, they're set up for the next four or five years with how young that core is. Well, they gave up four in the second on Tuesday and Dallas, of course, tied up the series at two. But that is a absolute battle. And I think even with Tolvanen. And that's Predator- that's what we're talking about. That's the crazy part. This is a second year expansion franchise right. going at a team that led the Central Division most of the season. I, I think even for fans that are pissed off and frustrated watching Tolvanen, I still think it is so easy to root for Seattle over Dallas. I think it's so it's so easy. Um, I, I don't, oh, I, don't sure. <laughs> uh, I don't know. And I don't we, we don't need to talk about this. I don't know if it, if it matters to you, but because um, we were kind of texting about it. The, Go- the Golden Knights dominated Edmonton on Monday. They go up to one. You've also got Carolina dominating as well. In New Jersey, so we'll see. Oh, Florida in there too. I mean, if they sweep the Leafs, if Florida oh advances God. to the conference final, I, I mean, uh, we. I don't want to compare. Just get them in. To the, just, just get in, Michael. <laughs> I don't want to compare them to the 2016-17 Predators, but the parallels are really similar there. Just get in. Just get in. So, um, 
I, I don't What's know. What's crazy saw... is I, I saw I saw something written yesterday about Jim Montgomery possibly being on the hot seat, which is crazy <laughs> considering the year that the Bruins just had a, a record-setting year, and they're talking about this guy after one year possibly being on the hot seat because they lost to the Florida Panthers in the first round. Well, this podcast will come out after uh, both Vegas and Florida have played, so we'll see, <laughs> we'll see what the scores are. Uh, where are you predicting a, a sweep? For the Florida Panthers, 4-0 on Wednesday evening, uh, even though everyone's listening to this on Thursday. I wouldn't be surprised if that honestly happened because it is the Maple Leafs, but the, the Leafs just have too much talent for the, to get swept. I mean, I as a hockey fan, I hope that they don't get swept just because like that would just be bad for them. And they they have so many good players, but if, if the Leafs get swept, I, I wouldn't be surprised in all honesty. Um, quick, quick shout out, by the way. Um, and I just I, I saw some of this on social media. It was flying around. Um, I, I, I did you hear John Anderson, the Sports Center broadcast, his comments about uh, Zach Whitecloud for for Vegas? I don't know if you saw that. Yes, um, I did. He made some comments. Basically, he made a joke, a, a bad joke, not all that funny joke about his last name, Whitecloud, uh, relating it to like toilet paper or something during a, a Sports Center highlight. And what I thought was really impressive was, first of all, there's one lesson I think to be learned in all of this, which is you cannot be more offended than the victim. In, in America, okay? You cannot be more offended than the victim. Oh, Zach but you White, can. Well, I don't give a shit about your opinion. If you're <laughs> if you're more offended than the victim and you're screaming on Twitter louder than the person who actually was the victim of the quote-unquote offense, I don't care about what you have to say. You are irrelevant to the situation. Zach Whitecloud is how all human beings should handle everything. He He's the one who was was talked about. He is of uh, Native American descent. And of course, that's why he's he he has that last name, and that's why John Anderson made the joke. He personally reaches out to John Anderson to talk about this and sort of say, "Look, it was he." John Anderson apologizes. Zach accepts his apology. He was very emotional talking about it, and he was like, "I don't want to be out here talking about it, but this is how we make progress." I just thought the message was really good, and the way that they went about it was really good. There's no need for John Anderson to be like fired for some stupid joke that wasn't that funny. He needs to apologize to the player. The player reached out to say, hey, let's let's talk this through and understand each other a little bit better. This is how I was raised. I, I all huge, huge applause for how Zach Whitecloud handled this. And again, I think it's people make mistakes and they they tell stupid jokes that are not meant filled with a actual hate in their heart. They're just kind of trying to be entertaining on television or radio. I'm not saying that. All everyone's like that, but I don't think John Anderson has a lot of hate in his heart. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and I think this is this is the prime example of this is how most situations should be handled. And I've yes my soapbox about this before, but I'll, I will say it one more time for everybody listening. Let's stop crucifying people and canceling people for making one mistake. I, I, like, hang on, hang on. Cancel cancel culture is not a real thing. I want to point that out. It doesn't exist. So I just want to point that out. So no one's getting canceled okay. over these things. Okay. But but let's stop trying to just burn people for making one mistake. Like yes, yeah, it happens. Nobody's perfect. Like accept the apology and move on and grow from it instead of harping on the negative. Everyone can learn from that. And again, you can't go on Twitter and be more pissed off about this than Zach Whitecloud. <laughs> you, you just you just can't. You're not allowed. It's not. You, you can. We're going to make fun of you for it. Exactly. Exactly. I uh, just applause to him for how he handled it. I, I applaud him for the message he delivered after the fact. I applaud him for going and talking to John at, like a human being and, and being respectful about it. And but also making sure that he got his point across that, hey, this was insensitive. Yeah. This was insensitive. I didn't appreciate this. I don't think you're going to hell, dude. Let's just talk it out. Let's have a conversation. Let's learn from it. And let's move forward. I think that's how we should do things. <laughs> that, that's how we should do things. And. Uh, you know, and, and kudos to him too for accepting the apology and not being like, "Well, I don't think it was sincere." Like, right. just just accept right. the apology, and move on. A lot of people, a lot of times, stuff like this happens, and it's like, "Well, they're only apologizing because they were forced to." No, it was a sincere apology, and Zach Whitecloud made that very clear, and everyone moved on. And you know what? Now we don't talk about it anymore. I also think there's a very big difference between like on the Sports Center highlight trying to do a Chris Berman thing where you're kind of just trying to do a stupid joke about a guy's last name versus like Tom Brennan, Tom Brenneman or whatever his name is for, that that is like off mic using racial slurs. You know like there there's just a there's a difference there when it roll when the joke rolls off the tongue. I think there was another broadcaster this past week uh in Major League Baseball that said something about, you know, <laughs> He was in Kansas City and they had a great day eating barbecue and yeah. and he meant to say Negro League Museum 
and he said something different. Like, I don't know if that guy says talks like that all the time or not, but also could it, it might've just been a slip up. So I don't know. Like it's, it, you know, that word's different than, than saying, than telling some stupid toilet paper joke about yeah. a, a name on sports center. I think there's it's just a I word to, see to you aspiring sportscasters, anything that can be construed as racially insensitive, just don't say it. <laughs> right. Or whether it's life. a joke or not, just don't say it. You also don't need to be a sportscaster. Just don't do that in life. Like I would teach my yeah, children that too. <laughs> but it's worse when you're a sportscaster because it's on the internet somewhere and someone will find yes. you. Just, just, just don't do it. Bulging disc. Just slow down when you're speaking, broadcasters, and get the words correctly. Bulging disc. There you go. Uh, okay. Go to Jaspers, everybody. Um, enjoy the Stanley Cup playoffs. Enjoy the uh, AHL playoffs. Check out the preview from Michael, of course, coming up on Nashville Hockey Now. Uh, make sure you're listening to It's All Your Fault as well. Rate, review, and subscribe. Michael, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at MGSports underscore, and you can find me on the Nashville Hockey Now website. We'll have scouting reports and in-depth analysis pieces on a lot of the prospects we talked about leading up to the draft. So Predators fans are well-informed about the possibilities and who's good, who's bad, who the Predators could possibly be taking. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's a big draft, and it's going to be fun here in Nashville, despite what will happen with the first overall pick. All right. Have a great weekend, everybody. For Michael, I'm Braden. Thanks for listening. Please rate, review, subscribe, share the show. Tell somebody about it if you're a Predators fan. You're getting really good coverage from Michael and uh, us here on the pod, as well as Gover and the scene and all that stuff. So we got good coverage for you guys here in Nashville uh, all through the summertime, even during the offseason. So check us out. We do appreciate it. Uh, Share the product. Support us. Go to Jaspers. I think that's everybody. I will stop talking now. Have a great weekend, everybody. This has been the Gold Standard right here on the 440 Sports Network.